turn in your Bibles to the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians. That should be page 1,222 in your pew Bibles. Verse 1 now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand, and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter and then the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. He then appeared to James and then all the apostles. Last of all, as to an untimely one born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I but the grace of God that is in me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you have believed. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, as we look into your word today, we pray that you would give us fresh eyes to see things, fresh ears to hear, a fresh heart, Lord God, to receive. We praise you and thank you for these blessings. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Now, in regard to these things, I tried to give her a fair warning that this would be a church service. Miss Letty and I had four meetings that were set by her to get together and talk about this service over about four years. And one of the things she said is, make sure it's a church service. We'd go over verses and uh, we'd go over songs, but especially that it not be swept over and become secular or a celebration of life. It was a concern to her. A lot of you don't know. You, here's the thing. When you're somebody's pastor, you get to know all kinds of things about them other folks don't know. Some of whom have known them their entire life, right? Because you talk about other stuff. One of the things was she was deeply concerned that I might think that she's a sinner. Because once in a while she liked to drive to that casino. <laughs> and I said, well, you know how it is, Miss Lady. The Presbyterians are a little more permissive about that kind of thing. I think my mama wants to go with you. So my mom and her... <laughs> would go down to the casino. Uh, and you also get to know their stories. Now, when I first met her, her stories were wide about all kinds of things. And as I knew her longer and longer, as she got closer and closer to this point where she was leaving this world, her stories were very narrow. They were about almost everyone in this room. Her singular concern was your well-being, your blessedness, that you knew the Lord, and that you knew that she knew the Lord in case she had been too quiet through time. Everybody has their struggle and the way they're raised. She gave me one of the greatest compliments any person in a church had ever given me. She said, you preach churches like the sermons I heard when I was a little girl. And at first I thought, is this supposed to be an insult? <laughs> but what she meant by it was, uh, she was raised and bathed in the, in the Word. The successes that she had in life and the things that she did, as you know, physically, she never had children, but spiritually she raised many. And she was kind of a matriarch in this family to this degree that she was honored by all of you, and she would name all of you. And once in a while, 
we could have prayer sessions and she'd name 30 or 40 people. And it would get a little long. But she was concerned with each one of you, not only from the nieces and nephews, all the way down to their children, to their grandchildren, all the way down to the great-grandchildren. And even at the end, she knew everyone by name. And she remembered them in prayer, interceding before the Lord. A lot of you haven't heard this idea, right? But it's all the way through the Old Testament and the New Testament that the blessedness that we have in Christ does not go just to the person or to the first generation, but unto a thousand generations of those that love me. You remember those words in the Bible? Well, that's a New Testament thing too. The blessing unfolds through time. If there were a single generation that did not know the Lord, the Christian church would have ceased to exist in history. So it's always from parents to children, to grandchildren, to great-grandchildren, to great-great-grandchildren, until the ancestors that prayed for us and interceded before the Lord before us, we don't even know their names anymore. They're forgotten by time and history, and maybe they have a stone with their name etched into it, but we don't remember them. But they remember us right now. See, the primary facet of the Christian faith is not just that Jesus died on the cross and those things. And You know, I almost, I almost get uncomfortable with Christmas because anything you can find toys of in the, in the aisles in Walmart is not really serious theology, right? But the resurrection from the dead is the promise that makes Christianity what it is. Uh, one time we were talking about how some friends of mine worked on the James Webb Space Telescope. Have any of you guys seen this? It's this remarkable artifact of modern science where they have this eyeball that they put out in space to look out at space. And there was this inherent promise when they were making these things that as soon as we turn this thing on, we're going to see civilizations all through the universe. You guys hear about this? It's out there right now. And they knew they would because the Hubble couldn't see far enough. This one's going to look out there because it's been billions and billions of years and human beings have formed on Earth. You know, we're just kind of an accidental collocation of atoms in the void. We're just this fuzz on top of the Earth. But there must be fuzz on other planets, right? That's billions of years older than us. I don't know what that is. And so they would turn this thing on and they would immediately see the civilizations that already exist. And I got to this point, the sermon, and I said, and what did they see? And she was sitting right over there, and she said, nothing. <laughs> she wasn't wrong. They didn't see any aliens, no spaceships, no structures out in the stars, no signals, no evidence of life. <clears throat> and the reason, the only way that's possible is if human beings are a special thing in a special place in the universe, at a special distance from a very special star that might be a very unique thing in the entire universe. In other words, mankind is not an accidental feature of this place. And we talked a little about atheism, you know. She knew a few atheists and they used to work on her a little bit. And we got to the point where we had these conversations about the fact that they don't have any answers for anything for why we exist, for what we are, for what our purpose is, for the difference between good and evil and right and wrong and the way it unfolds through history. They don't have a reason for nations, for their rise, or for their fall. And yet in knowing God, we have a purpose for our existence. We know who and what we are. We know our value in history. We know right and wrong. We know good and evil. And we know that we will live again because God has promised us. He's written us to us in his word. In verse 12 of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, it says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. 
And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is futile. For even we are found to be misrepresenting God because we testify from God that he raised Christ. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also those that have fallen asleep in Christ, they have perished. Uh, and she was theologically acute, and a lot of you didn't know that, because when people get to 95, they're the cute old ladies, right? <laughs> we don't really take them that seriously. But as Michael said, she was a woman of substance, and she tended to hold back for the sake of peace, but she had her own ideas about things, and they were well thought out. If I misstated a text when I was going through the Bible, in the sermon, she would come up to me after and says, it actually says this and this and this. <laughs> and once in a while she was wrong because that was the King James and we used this other one. But, but she knew. She knew the word and she was informed theologically. She knew what she believed. And her single greatest concern, as she knew that she was leaving this life, was that you participate in that life with her after she's gone. So if this turns out to be a bad sermon, blame Letty, but at the same time... She wanted you to know the Lord Jesus Christ and Him crucified because it was her only and primary source of ultimate happiness and peace in this life. And she did not go to the grave afraid. Now we talked a little bit, even in the hospital room, she was afraid of it hurting. We're all afraid of it hurting. Only a fool is not afraid of pain and suffering. But she was not afraid of going. She knew where she was going, and that upon closing her eyes to this life, she would open her life to the eyes to the next, and she would see the people that have already left her behind. One of the things you have to understand about the Christian life is that there are promises within it which God gives that transcend this life. This life, as it's going to say in these passages, is just the seed, and the seed has to die that the full plant can come forth and become a flower. This life, it's over that fast. It's very short. And we think to ourselves, well, by the time people get into their 80s and 90s, they're kind of done with life and should be wrapping things up. I have seen no evidence of that whatsoever. People in their 80s and 90s are no more comfortable with death or have an expectation of it than you do. They still feel 18 in their heart. They still feel like they did when they were in their 20s and they were raising those babies. But then you go look in the mirror and things are starting to change a little bit. The body starts to hurt, starts to break down. You can't do the things that you used to do. You can't do them as fast and you can't do them as well. But your spirit is actually growing stronger through time. In the Christian faith, we have this idea called sanctification. Here's how it works. We tend to think that the young people are the most pure and together and that as we get older, we get kind of run down through the process. We also think that the older people, they have religion because they were raised in that and we're kind of beyond that kind of thing. And it tends to be the opposite. I have talked to hundreds of people who their faith really became stronger as they got older because of their experiences in life and because they learned to value what really matters rather than the things they didn't. In other words, the older people are not religious because they're older. They're religious because they've seen everything. And they've realized what really matters the later they get. So you'd expect somebody that's lived with Christ a long time to be in a place of established holiness because they've walked that path. 
So when you're young, you're distracted by everything, and you've got a lot of energy and vigor, and you can do all kinds of things, and you're basically distracted. But as you get older, I want you to remember her and remember her path and walk in it. Because you have expectations upon you in this life simply by having been related to her by blood or marriage. Now that's something that'll be weird to you, right? Because we don't talk that way anywhere anymore. But for 2,000 years, we've talked that way. You have a duty to your elders, especially those that have gone before you to the Lord and have died, to live a certain kind of life, to think a certain kind of thoughts, and be a certain kind of person. You have responsibilities. Here he says in verse 20, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, and by a man has also come the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, in Christ all shall be made alive. But each in his own order. First Christ himself as the first fruits, and then those who are his at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies beneath his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And I know what you're taught. You know, I went to the university. You might not be able to tell, but I went to the university and they taught me life is meaningless and death is part of life and it's a beautiful thing. And it's such a horrible, stinking lie, right? Death is not the best part of life. Death is the absolute worst part of life. Death is absolutely and completely unnatural. It is the most unnatural thing there is, is death. And we should hate it and we should despise it, and when it happens, we should cry and weep and mourn because it's horrible. And yet Christ has conquered death and the grave so that we can survive it, so that we will not perish, but have everlasting life. All the way to verse 35, because it's not like an unbearable burden for me to have you do one entire chapter of the Bible. I don't know how often you read it, but one chapter is not bad. We could be here all day. So chapter 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35, someone will ask me, well, how are the dead raised? In other words, the Apostle Paul here understands that that's a complicated thing. Uh, don't worry about babies. Oh, we love crying babies in this church. You ain't got no crying babies, you ain't got a future, right? <laughs> Let them cry, let them sing. I think that was that song we were just doing. What kind of body will they come with? But you're being a fool. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be a bare kernel, perhaps for wheat or some other grain, but God gives each a body as he has chosen and to each kind a seed of its own. And not all flesh is the same. There's one kind for humans and one for animals and one for birds and one for fish. There are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is another. And there's the glory of the sun and the moon and the glory of another and the stars. And each one differs from each other. But what is perishable must be sown so that it might die, so that the imperishable can come forth. In other words, we do know and understand she's not here anymore. In the old theologies, they used to call it she gave up the ghost. She went on to glory. Whatever that part of ourselves, you know, I don't know, I've never done brain surgery, but here's one thing I know. When they do brain surgery and they look in there, they don't see no soul. They don't see any thoughts, they don't see memories, they don't see that you loved your mother and your father, they don't see your experiences. This is just a hard case for a sack of meat. That's not you. Your soul is that aspect of yourself that transcends these things and survives your death. 
That is the part of us that goes on, the conscience sentient being that can think and feel and live and is created in the image and likeness of God. So all the way to verse 50 in 1 Corinthians, chapter 15. I tell you this, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I'm going to tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And the mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall what has been written in the Old Testament come to pass. That prophecy saying, death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. And thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you guys know the statistics, right? What are the odds that you will die? 100%. And statistically, it's, so, it's real high. It's like one out of every one person, right? Uh, but you were not designed for death. It should be obvious to everything within you, in your heart, mind, and soul, as it gives witness to you by a mere intuition. You were designed for life. You were designed for success and for well-being and for loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. And you were designed to never die. And yet, with all of us, death is inevitable. All the way back in the beginning of the Bible, you know the story that our first parents sinned and brought us all into sin so that all of us suffer sin, sickness, and death. And yet the entire point of this gospel and the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead is as a witness to all of us that every one of us, even those of us who have already died, will inevitably rise from the dead on the last day. And so in that witness of an older woman who dedicated the entire last portion of her life as soon as these things became very important to her to constantly giving you her love and her intercession and her prayers and naming you before God and calling you to His attention that you would follow in these things and know that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And that we, on the last day, we will receive back all of our dead. You will meet ancestors that you didn't even know ever existed that prayed for you a thousand years before. And who knows that by God's ordination and His guidance, He did not take her at this time to make sure that you were in this room at this time to hear these words. It should change us. Death is a necessary confrontation once in a while to remind us that it is inevitable and it is coming to each and every one of us. But in the Lord Jesus Christ, God has given us salvation and hope and grace and faith that we embrace these things. There's a reason these next line, verse 48, says, Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What he means that is by that is your labor until you die. Right? Because this whole chapter is about dying. There are many of you that Letty, through time, has offended in certain ways by her being who she is, the way she is, 
and who she was and the way she is, is awesome. You must always have in every family at least one truth teller who's willing to tell you when you're wrong, right? I've got that person too, and I don't like it, <laughs> right? And so she was older, and she had seen everything, and once in a while she told you a little truth, but it wasn't meant to bruise you, and it wasn't meant to hurt you, and it wasn't meant to kill you. It was meant to heal you. So if she told you a little something, and she did it in a way that old ladies do those things from time to time, forgive her, and bless her for the manner, but maybe take the message, right? Because she's seen it all. And she's probably learned a little wisdom along the way in 95 years of walking this earth. Every once in a while, I get to know and become friends with a 95 or 100-year-old. I've learned stuff from every one of them. Mostly it's to shut up and let them talk. <laughs> but the things they've seen and the way that they've blessed you, right? So I'm not here to tell you what to do. But if you have things in your mind and your heart that are against her, well, it's done now, y'all, right? Let that go and forgive her. And remember her with the very best grace and peace that you have in your heart. Because I can guarantee you, and I've talked to her hundreds of times, all she did was love you 100% of the time. All she did was be perpetually concerned with your life, blessedness, and well-being. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, again, Lord God, we thank you today. And as you receive her, Lord God, one of the things that this service is in a church is this will be the last service in which she is counted as a member of this church. She has left her membership in this local church, Lord God, and been received into the membership of the church universal, the heavenly church, where she will gather for services, Lord God, and she will sing your praises in a new body, Lord God. She will sing with hope and she will sing with strength because all of the woes and miseries and weaknesses and sicknesses of this life have been left behind. We praise you and thank you for this great promise that you've given us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
Somebody asked me years ago to sing this at her funeral, and then she periodically would remind me. She had a sharp mind and she didn't forget, unfortunately. It's called His Eyes on the Sparrow. <clears throat>
if you'll turn in your hymnals. I'm going to skip it, okay? Uh, thank you so much for coming to this service. I want to give you the encouragement of this time. Be forgiving of one another. Uh, be graceful with one another. Love one another and replace Letty in your family. Show that kind of leadership. Show that kind of grace and mercy and continual and binding love. Now I'm going to do something that's called the benediction or the blessing. You guys have seen this in the Bible all over this place, all over the place. You might not have known that it's a regular part of any duly constituted worship service. You all know what it's like to get cursed, right? You've been cursed, you've cursed, you, all you have to do is drive through on the freeway and somebody curse you, right? Well, in the Christian faith, we believe that uh, curses and blessings have power. And so it's not that I'm going to bless you, but I'm, on behalf of Jesus Christ, I'm going to be a stand-in, as it were, and I'm going to give you this blessing, that if you have believed this gospel and these things from God's Word spoken here today, that all of the promises that are related to these things, they are for you. Please rise. Do not bow your heads, because this is not a prayer. If you want to, lift your hands and receive the blessing. May the Lord your God bless you and keep you. May His face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. You are dismissed.